clanging brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. It thinks no evil. Let's pray. Father, we praise you, Lord, and, and thank you, Lord, for what your heart is for us, Lord, for how much you love us, and what a wonderful picture this is of your love. And Lord, this morning, I, I, I think I can speak for everyone in this room, Lord. We want to know you more. We want to know your heart more. We want to be like David and be seekers uh, after your heart, Lord. We want to be running hard uh, after you, even as we're seeking your heart. We want to worship you, Lord, in, in spirit and in truth, Lord. And God, your word is the truth. Sanctify us this morning with your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So how do people know that you're a Christian? Is it a bumper sticker on your car? Is it a Bible that you've placed on your desk? Is it a t-shirt? Or is it love? The Bible says that supremely, Christians will be identified by their love. In John 13, Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also so you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You say, Steve, I know that. I know you know that, but are you living it? Are you living it? You know, there can hardly be a more important question than that posed to uh, a Christian. We've read the first three verses for several uh, weeks now. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though... I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. 
So, are you? Are you living? The Word of God is so refining. You know, one of those wonderful, terrible things about the Word of, uh, of God is that it confronts us with uh, questions that we absolutely do not want to be confronted with. And that is what this chapter does. It, it confronts me with the question, are you living it? Does your love suffer long, Steve? Well, no, Lord, it doesn't. Only your love suffers like that. Is your love kind? No, Lord, it's not. Does your love... Is your love a, a, a love that envies? Yes, Lord. Does it parade itself? Yes, Lord. It does. It parades itself. Is it puffed up? Yes, Lord. Does your love sometimes behave rudely? Does it sometimes seek its own? Is it provoked to anger? So many times, Lord, yes, it does. Does your love think evil? Does it rejoice in iniquity? But does it always rejoice in truth? Does it bear all things? No, Lord, it doesn't. Does it believe all things, hope all things, endure all things? Lord, only you, only you love like that. Does your love never fail? God, only your love never fails. This chapter confronts you with that question. Are you living it? I know you that you know that you know that you know, but are you living it? As you read through this chapter, find yourself being confronted with that question. If you don't, you're reading it too fast. Either that or you're resisting the Holy Spirit. You're refusing to listen to the voice of God. But how do we learn to live it? How can we get to the place where we, we do live it? I mean, Jesus commanded us uh, uh, that we are to love one another, and, and the Bible does say God has provided all things to us in order to live a life of godliness. And uh, the Bible does teach us that we will love, but only as we understand how much he loves us. First John 4.19 says, we love him because he first loved
so how much does God love us? How much does God love you? I don't know if any of you remember that Christian t-shirt. Speaking of Christian t-shirts, I happen to love in-your-face Christian t-shirts, by the way. I was just got a new one. It says, no Jesus, no peace. Have you seen that one? And then, no Jesus, no peace. The first one is N-O, no Jesus, no peace. The second one is K-N-O-W, no Jesus, no peace. And I was went on a hospital this week, and I was at the back of an ele- elevator, and the doctor came in. And this doctor examined my T-shirt like he was examining my body. I, I, you know, usually people will take a glimpse at your T-shirt, and you're like, oh, uh, you know, cool. But this guy was like, and then his pager went off. He looked at the pager and then went back to reading my shirt. I, I, I was like, okay, this is good. I like this. <coughs> I wasn't sure if he was going to leave and try to pass a regulation against uh, proselytizing in hospitals, or maybe it was uh, uh, doing something to him. But anyway, do you remember that T-shirt? Uh, it actually, it was out a long time ago. But it said, yeah, how much does God love you? And it just had Jesus' hands out with uh, the nails through the hands. And does anyone remember that one? Anyone remember that one? Or am I dating myself? Uh, and, 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 and so that, that's true. The cross is, is just the most wonderful picture of love there ever was. Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, uh, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the uh, wilderness, uh, uh, when I am lifted up, all men will be drawn to me. And, and, and the cross does that because it's such a picture of how much God loves you. But uh, this morning, I also uh, want to, you to consider John uh, chapter 17, verse 23. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's only a matter of hours, possibly minutes before he's arrested. And he's praying to the Father. What is he praying? He's praying to the Father. He says, I pray that they may be perfect in one, that the world may know that you sent me, and that you have loved them as you have loved me. I pray that you, the world may know that you have loved them as you have loved me. The word as in Greek means, it could just as well be just as, or even as, or equal to. And so, how much does God love you? Just as much as he loves Jesus. Now, I hope that blows your mind. I hope that changes your mind. I hope that changes my mind about about how God loves me. You know, Jesus is saying there, John chapter 17, verse 23, examine it yourself. Uh, He says uh, that God's love for you is equal, equal to the uh, love that he has for his only begotten son, Jesus. You say that can't be true. Jesus said it, though. You say, I just don't understand that. Neither do I. Uh, You ask, well, why does God love me? Well, C.S. Lewis came up with an answer that sort of rings true there. He said, God loves us not because we are lovable or lovely, but because God is love. 1 John 4.16 says, God 
is love. So, I know, you know, that God loves us. But am I living it? Only as I learn uh, how much he loves me. And the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. So how much does he love me, though? This much. The hands, the nails, the cross. How much does he love us? As much as his son, if you're willing to believe that word of God. I hope that you do. I hope that I do. But in 1 Corinthians 13, we have yet another picture of how much God loves us. Uh, Verse 4 starts, uh, it says, love suffers long. And the first two weeks we spent on this chapter, we're on this alone. Love suffers long. And what does it mean when it says love suffers long or long suffering? Uh, And remember, the the long suffering is always in the context of a relationship, of a relationship. Uh, Your love suffers long in a relationship when uh, there is wrong done to you repeatedly, when there is a betrayal over and over again, when there is a breach of trust, and then another one, and then another one, when there is pride, when there is selfishness, when there is apathy, but rather than withdraw from the relationship, rather than react in anger, rather than harden your heart, you suffer on in love, giving all the rest to the Lord. That's the way that God loves you. God's love suffers long. But the verse continues, verse 4. It says, love is kind. The love God has for you is kind. Really interesting, in Matthew chapter 11, in one of Jesus' most famous declarations, he says what? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The Greek word for easy. Really interesting. It's the same root word as the very word we're reading in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, for kind. Come to me and I will give you rest, for my yoke is kind. A yoke. Remember what a yoke is. A yoke is that heavy bar that is put on an ox. And attached to that yoke is a plow. So the yoke carries, the the yoke is a burden and it carries another burden. And and listen carefully, apart from Christ you are Uh, under a yoke, a bar of the law. And, and, And the Bible says that every rule, every regulation in the law, you must follow it in order to be saved apart from Christ. You must follow every jot and tittle of the law. And it says apart from Christ, we have the yoke of the law on us. We have the yoke of sin. We have the yoke of guilt. But So Jesus is saying, come to me, I will remove your yoke, the yoke of the law, the yoke of your sin and guilt, and the only yoke that I will replace it with is a yoke of 
kindness. Love is kind. And I've been praying for several weeks about this sermon. You know, Lord, how do I best describe the word kind? It's so rare today. Our society is so hard. How will people know you're a Christian supremely by your kindness? So I believe the answer was to the, my prayer this week was this, uh, my wife Stephanie uh, came home after spending the night uh, in the hospital with our daughter Adlai who picked up a bug in, in Peru and she'd become dehydrated. She's fine now, but she, they'd spent uh, a night there and uh, you know, at the time, though, she was, she was just miserable. I mean, we've all been there, right? Just, mi- just miserable. And, and she's, uh, you know, the hospital is just not a fun time. And, and Stephanie's talking about it. And she says, you know, what an incredible difference it makes when finally, you know, after so many people come in and out of your room where someone, a doctor, a nurse who is comes in. She said, it's an amazing difference that that makes. And, and, you know, I'm sure many, many of you have experienced this. You know, you're feeling totally miserable. You're in a strange place. You're with strangers. You're hearing strange noises, seeing strange things. Uh, You're out of your familiar surroundings. And, 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 um, you know, maybe it's a hospital. People running in and out of your room, they're oblivious to you. They may be talking to you. They may be asking you questions. They may be doing stuff for you, but their hearts are far away. No one seems to care. But then a, a doctor or a nurse comes in that's very different from all of the rest. Uh, they come in with a smile. They're not in a rush. They listen, and they're not in a hurry. When they speak, they are thinking about you, not thinking about the next patient. They're helpful. They're caring. And you're like, oh, let me hug you. Where, where have you been all this time, you know? That, that, I, it, and, and, and have you ever noticed in that situation, uh, within 30 seconds, uh, a, a person like that coming in, there's, you have a, there's a physical reaction in your body. You know, your body's all tensed up. And then all of a sudden, it just begins to relax, and 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 something is letting go inside, and and uh, within a matter of, of, of seconds, uh, this is you're being put to rest. Jesus said, "Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest, for I am kind. I will put my kindness on you. Love is kind. God's love for you is filled with kindness." Kindness is giving in the opposite spirit in which the world gives. The world gives only what is expected of it, only what is necessary. Giving with a smile, giving in an unhurried way, giving in a thoughtful way, that's not what is expected or necessary. Uh, kindness gives what expe- is not expected. Kindness always goes beyond what is necessary. Kindness is so unexpected, particularly in the city, I've noticed. You know, in the city, people 
or we the one to point the finger think that sometimes that you know we can get away with not being kind because most of the people don't know us you know people don't know each other so you can just dart right by and and one of the uh, the the times where this happens more than any other time, I know it's hard to relate, we're sort of in the middle of summer, although it did get a little cool last night, but after a blizzard, I mean, you walk around the city and there's helpless people everywhere stuck in their parking space and they're, they've got a couple tires just underneath like five inches of ice. And, you know, you've seen it, they're just like spinning their wheels and their pedal to the metal and and, 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 you know, people are just going right by them. You want to pull like a big-time Jesus kindness stunt. You go out after uh, uh, a blizzard with an ice pick and a shovel in Boston. I remember one of those times last winter, this poor woman had her pedal to the metal and, and, and her, you know, just digging herself deeper. And, and I'm, I'm like, uh, I really feel like the Lord was going, Steve, you know, go and help this woman. And, you know, Satan was going, no, you can't help her. You got to go have your devotion time. Wow, how interesting. Satan's so interested in my devotion time, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, anyway, so, you know, I just said, ugh. I really don't want to do this, but so I get my ice pick and, you know, um, and, and my shovel, and I, I go down there, and this woman, she was on the verge of tears. She was very upset. She was angry. It was obvious she was in a hurry, but, man, she was going nowhere, this woman. And so I go over there, and uh, I start helping her out, and I just start hacking away at the ice, and I get the ice from around the the, the wheels and you know she she tries to get out of there and you know women drivers I, I, I mean uh, sorry I have something I'm going to say about sarcasm later boy am I going to eat my words but uh, anyway um, uh, so I think uh, you know you want me to try and and you know you have to turn into a hot rod driver women when you're in these situations okay and I just gun the thing over, you know how it is, over the snowbank on her left, and, you know, you sort of twist around in the road, and, and I, I'll never forget, because I get out of this car, and this woman, she was like in this state of, uh, in between shock and hysterical laughter, she was like pounding her head, going, <laughs> I can't believe this. I just can't believe this just happened. And, and, you know, I'm looking at this woman. She's like, is there anything I can do for you? Can I pay you money? I mean, and, and I'm like, no, no. And, and she just gets in her car, and she's just incredulous, and she just drives off. And, you know, it's such a blessing. I, I missed all of eight minutes of my devotion time, you know. Uh, ah, ha, ha, Satan, whatever. But, um, <laughs> but uh uh, but, but anyway, uh, you know, she had gone from being completely miserable on the verge of tears to, like, leaping hysterically with joy because of one kind act. Jesus said, you offer a, uh, one of my prophets a, a cup of cold water, you'll get a prophet's reward. Wow. 
and and how important that is, and and how uh, how unworldly, otherworldly. It's it's kindness is acting in a way opposite to the spirit of the world. It it's giving what is not expected. It's giving beyond what is necessary. Jesus says, if you if a man asks you to go with him one mile, go with him two. The first mile is giving what's necessary. The second mile is kindness. Jesus also said, uh, if someone takes away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Giving your tunic is giving what is necessary. Giving your cloak is kindness. Giving your tunic is what the world is many times willing to do. There's lots of charitable organizations, secular charitable organizations, willing to walk a mile and willing to give a tunic. What you don't see any human charitable organization doing is walking the second mile and giving the cloak. God's love for you is kind. His kindness will give you rest. One other twist on on kindness. It's it's not only, uh, this is kindness, by the way, this is supernatural Holy Spirit empowered kindness. Kindness is not only giving what is not expected, it is also giving up what you expected for what God has selected. What we expect to happen on a given day or a given hour or even a given minute is often very different than what God has selected. You know, there was a wonderful little story about this that Albert uh, gave. Where is Albert? Albert, can I have permission to tell your little story about going up to the mountain? I'm glad because it would have been embarrassing if you said no. But um, <laughs> um, uh, uh, anyway, the only, the only person I don't ask permission is Pastor Scott does, you know, to tell stories. But uh, that's because he's given me carte blanche. Anyway, uh, Albert's the, the, our, uh, our bass player here. He's sit, sitting up here to my right. And he came to crew with us. And he, he had just a wonderful little story where, you know, being going on these missions trips, you know, uh, they're not easy. I know, you know, when you're thinking about them, it's like, oh, wow, I would love to do that. And it'll be so great. And I'll be just running with Jesus the whole time. But let me tell you, that lasts for five hours, uh, particularly in a city. I thought it's really interesting, <laughs> this movie. The, uh, the sun came up for one afternoon for two or three hours. And so, of course, Peter got out his camera and took his film. That It was only like that, uh, the, that for, for two or three hours. The, again, the rest of the time, it was bleak. And, um, it's, and, and when you go down there, you're never feeling normal because the food it, we're not adjusted to. Many of us were feeling a little under the weather. We're cramped quarters, and we're working very, very hard. Uh, and a lot of us are doing construction, a real man's job. Very few of us have real men's jobs, you know. And so when we go down there, uh, all of a sudden, wow, being a real man, I want to go back to America and do what I was doing before. But, uh, and Mike, I was thinking about you a lot down there, brother. Uh, Mike was thinking about going, but uh, God had another plan. He was expecting something else, but a baby uh, came along. But uh, anyway, so very, very hard. The last day, Albert... Um, 
you know, among other things, he claimed difficult to sleep, hadn't gotten a lot of sleep, uh, wasn't able to get his devotion time in the morning, was feeling very harried, so we went to the construction site, and he says, well, no, I'm going to, I get, I got to go be with the Lord. So he had, he, he really had his priority right, I believe, and he wanted to be with the Lord, and so there's this big old gigantic hill in back of our construction uh, site. Not a single green thing on this, uh, on this hill. Uh, Lima's in a desert and very little vegetation. Uh, and so just this big barren hill, but it's a big, big barren hill. That's all I can describe it. But uh, uh, anyway, he says, I'm going to go up there and I, I'm just going to have some time with the Lord. A great place, by the way, to have a Bible study. And so he took off and, you know, and uh, he went up and about halfway, and all of a sudden he had that feeling, oh no, I'm not alone. And he looked behind, and one of these little kids you saw was following. He's like, oh no, this is not working. And I don't know, he's like scurrying, trying to uh, speed up or whatever, but as he speeded up, this little kid did too. And uh, he got to the top of the mountain, and uh, he sat down, and this little kid sat right down next to him, just right next to his body. You know, hi, hola, you know. And Albert's like, uh, well, maybe if I start reading, you'll figure out what's going on. So he opens up his Bible, and the kid goes, so what are you reading? In Spanish, of course. And uh, at that point, Albert knew. God had selected something different than he had expected. God had selected kindness, an act of kindness to one of his, the least of these. And so it was, you know, he, he had his blessing too. And of course he, you know, he, 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 he had his time with the Lord um, and, and that was uh, not a wasted time at all. It was the time, the thing that God wanted him to do at that moment. And so uh, kindness is never expected. Uh, it's it's giving the unexpected, what God has selected. And, and you know, have you ever seen that bumper sticker uh, that says, I'm sure you have, practice random acts of kindness and sen senseless acts of beauty? Practice random acts of kindness and senseless acts of beauty. I've heard preachers quote that. It really bothers me. It just, to me, it's just new age gobbledygook. Listen, if you're a born again Christian led by the Spirit of God, your acts of kindness should never be random. They are selected by the finger of God. But more importantly, they're definitely not senseless. They're filled with purpose. Every single act of kindness by God in your life is for a very specific purpose. Every time he does something in your life, he selected something for, uh, for you to do, whether it's you know, digging out uh, someone from the snow or if it's, it's just being with someone like Albert was with this young child when he didn't expect to do that at all. It's for a purpose. Kindness is 
filled with purpose. Love is kind. God's love for you is kind. And every act of kindness is filled with purpose. Verse 4 continues. Love does not envy. God's love for you is totally pure. It's totally, utterly pure. There's no envy attached to it. What does a love that does not envy look like? It rejoices with those who rejoice. Have you ever had someone, even someone you thought you loved, some great thing happened to them? They were promoted, they got a big raise, or maybe they got engaged, maybe they got pregnant. They were asked to do some ministry thing, real cool ministry thing. And your heart in you said, ugh, why not me? Your love for them was not as pure as you thought, right? When you rejoice, God rejoices with you. That is love. God's love for you doesn't envy. He's absolutely, utterly secure in his love for you. So are you living it? Are you living that love? It goes on. Love does not parade itself. You know, sometimes when I love, uh, many times when I love, I want to make sure that others can see. I parade my love. Uh, God doesn't love me back that way. He, he loves me the same regardless of who's looking, who's noticing, who's paying attention. Whether there are five billion people or if it's just you, only you on the face of this earth. God loves you exactly the same. He loved Adam as much as he loves you. His love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Sometimes when I love, uh, it really makes me feel like I'm something special. Wow, Steve, you can love. In other words, sometimes my love for another person is more about me. Than about the other person. It's more for me uh, than it is for them. It's more about my puffy little head. Some people would say my puffy big head, but uh, uh, but th but th then it is for anything else. Uh, uh, God does not love me that way. His love for me is all for me. It is totally, utterly selfless. So you know what love is, but are you living it? Love is not rude, it goes on to say. Now, this, this one is a really tough one to teach on because the Greek word eskamaneo is um, rude. The word rude definitely is an example of what that is, but it is really so much more than that. Uh, a better translation is some of you have love is unseemly, I think. King James, uh, I think a better translation when you put all the, you know, all sort of the d Greek dictionary together is love is not insensitive, or rather love is sensitive. Early on in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said, be all things to all people. 
be all things to all people in all situations. That, that, that would be a really good translation of this word. Love is being all things to all people in all situations. You know, when you go down to a country like Peru, uh, one of the ways that you love them is to learn everything about the culture because uh, things that you do that are normal here are not at all normal there. And this goes for really everywhere in the, the, the world. You can go to a different place in this country and you can wind up being rude or insensitive without even knowing about it. Our first morning there, Brian explained to us, Peruvians, when you're in a room with Peruvians or when a Peruvian uh, enters the room, you are supposed to always, always greet them, even though there may be a lot of people. Uh, or if you come into a room, you should greet everyone in the room. If the person is of the opposite sex, you should always uh, give them a kiss on the cheek. He mentioned another one. If you're in a room where there are, you know, different groups, different little groups like we have here after church, there's different little groups set up. Brian mentioned that, you know, in the States, if there's, if there's a group of people, three or four people, if you're one of those, you feel comfortable just slipping away at some point when you're not in the conversation. In Peru, that's very, very rude. You never do that. You always excuse yourself. So, and, and then I found that the, uh, another situation sometimes with language, you get into terrible trouble. I, <coughs> someone asked me, well, how many kids do you have? And I told them in Spanish that I had four daughters and one son, cuatro hembras y un varón. And, and I told these two women that, and they're like, oh, no, don't say that. Cuatro hembras y un varón. They said, Cuatro uh, uh, mujeres y un hombre. <laughs> and because what I had said was, in many, in Peru, what I had said was the word for a female animal or a female dog. I have four female dogs and one female, uh, you know, one male dog. Yeah, but, but, but the problem is in many other places, that is what they say. That's how they respond to that. It is so important, though, that if we're really going to love so many Americans. Now, I lived overseas for, f uh, for five years in South America and Venezuela. So many Americans are there. They don't care. They go down there and, and say, and, and believe me, I was, before I was a Christian, and I was right there with them in many ways, just, I'm going to be an American. I'm proud of it. I don't care what anyone thinks. And that's why Americans have many problems abroad, because, that, you know, that is our attitude in many ways. And so... But that's not love. Love is sensitive with all people in all situations. Uh, that is what it is. And so, you know, uh, we were sensitive to do that. When I, we went to Peru, I told the, the folks, for example, forget about your email when you're down there. I just think it's insensitive when we're running off to our email every free moment to see what's going on in the States. And I told a couple others, forget about your cell phone. You know, let's love these people. Love is sensitive. Love is not insensitive. And so um, love is uh, not rude, it says here. And, and lastly, I've already been uh, guilty of this one. 
words in, in my sermon here. You know, uh, love is not rude. And uh, another way of saying it is love is things that something that builds up. And we, with, we build up with our words and we break down with our words. And, and sarcasm. I mean, you've already heard it from my own lips today. In our country, it's, been, it's an art form. I mean, there's this continuous stream of late-night shows with nothing but sarcasm. And, and, you know, tragically, I believe the body of Christ, we've been infected by this. You know, a little leaven goes through the whole dough. And, and, and the whole dough it, it now, sometimes I think, is just has accepted this as a normal way of life. And sometimes I wonder whether this is the number one reason that the body of Christ is so weak and anemic and powerless. So, so sarcasm, it defiles the purity of the body of Christ. Not always, of course, but many times sarcasm, it's not love. It's, it's, it's insensitive. It breaks people down rather than building them up. Look, this is radical counterculture stuff, this Jesus thing, this life with Christ. And I would not be doing my job unless I presented to you what this radical life is all about. Love is not rude. It's not sarcastic. The Bible says be in the world and not of the world. God's love for you is not rude. God's love uh, for you is perfectly sensitive to who you are. Then it goes on. Love does not seek its own. I pray for, again, for, for how to explain things in my messages, but there's just, there's always the, the one that comes to mind here. You know, when Paul's defining love here, the word is agape, a rarely used term at that time. Paul has to define it here. City of Corinth needed to be educated on this. They had a very twisted view of what love, wa- love was. To the Corinthians, love was sex. Love was a sensual thing. Uh, sex was an expression of sensual love. And, you know, if you're here today and you're struggling in a relationship, the relationship is not working out the way you want it to work out. And one of the things that's going on is, is you're not married and you're having sex in the relationship. And... In your heart, you know that that's not su- you're you're not supposed to be uh, engaging in sex outside of marriage, but you know you find yourself saying, "But I know we're not supposed to be doing that." But but he loves me. No, he doesn't. He loves sex. I'm not stupid. I was saved when I was 24. He doesn't love you. He loves sex. The Bible says that love does not seek its own. Sex outside of marriage is just that. It is a kind of love, a central love, that is seeking its own. Me, me, me. Sex inside of marriage is something beautiful and wonderful and loving. It's exhilarating inside of marriage. It's healthy inside of marriage. Sex outside of marriage is always taking from the other what is not mine to take. Love seeks not its own. 
God loves you in such a way that everything he does is with your best interest in mind. Wow. God loves you that much. Love is not provoked. Some translations say love is not provoked to anger. Now, the, this one, the King James has it wrong. It says love is not easily provoked. The word easily, not there. It's love is not provoked. You know, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God, the Bible says. You want people to know whether or not you're a Christian, to not be provoked to anger, meaning when you are offended and your anger wants to flare up, resist it. Replace it with something we already talked about, kindness. Love is not provoked to anger. Wow, am I confronted with this one? I mean, you can just have the most awesome devotion time with the Lord. You can be in a Bible study and be worshiping the Lord and, and, and just having just rich fellowship with people. You're driving away and someone cuts you off. It's like, ah, you know. All of a sudden you turn into like a devil or something, you know. You thought you were just an angel. No, you're, you're, you're a sinner saved by grace is what you are. But, but um, you know, this is, this to, to me is one of the, hallmarks of Christian maturity. Do you have your anger under control? If you don't, you're a babe in Christ. You know, recently, uh, <laughs> this, I've had some big time Lord, the Lord testing in this area that they're building a, a house uh, next to my house. And in the city, when they build a house next to your house, they're building it five feet away from you, okay? It's not like this thing, like, 50 yards away and, or anything like that. It's five feet away from your property, okay? So, you know, they're building our house, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, we start realizing that, uh, <laughs> I have to tell you that uh, important part of this story is that th this particular house, it's like building by blitzkrieg, this guy. I mean... He brings, brought in like literally 40 different workers at the same time to build this single house. And he started building one next to it. But 40 people, just like bees. I mean, the great part about it is they'd gotten the house up really, really quick. But um, uh, anyway, so they're building this house. And all of a sudden, you know, I realize, uh, we realize that, uh, you know, we hear the faucet next to our uh, house just uh, over and over again. So these, these people next door, they're using our faucet to, to take, you know, drinks you know, during the day. And, and I'm, my kids are going up to me going, Dad, do you see what they're doing? They're drinking from our faucet all day. I mean, it's this continual squeak. Squeak. You know, squeak. You know, it's just all day you hear this. Because there's a lot of guys next door. And, uh, and to be honest with you, I was like, hmm, okay, Lord. And uh, I felt, this is what Jesus would do. Let them have all the water they want. And 
my kids, I said, well, what would Jesus do? Um, they, they, uh, I think that they came to terms with that. So a couple days went by. Okay. And all of a sudden, we start noticing they were started filling up five-gallon barrels, okay, with water and carrying it into the house to, like, be doing their construction work. You know, they're using it for tile cutting and, and, and stuff like that. And, and, and they were taking these five-gallon barrels on a regular basis. And, and wow, this was, uh, you know, one of the kids came up, so what would Jesus do now, Dad? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so, uh, you know, I had to, had to say, I had to think about that one a little. And, you know, this particular one, uh, the guy who's building a house, he owns the property. Uh, he was also going to do some some work with me, and I, I in this particular case, I, I thought, you know, I'll talk to him. And so he was going to do some work with me, uh, for me, uh, to to on the side. He was going to expand our driveway just a little bit. And I said, uh, hey, uh, you know, uh, by the way, what's your price going to be? And before you give it to, uh, before you give me the price, uh, can I have the price that includes the five-gallon buckets all day? And a guy walked up right then and right in front of this guy took my faucet, was filling up this big bucket, you know. And I, anyway, I kind of laughed to, uh, to the guy about it and, and, you know, told, to be honest with you, I was like, you know, you can go ahead and, and, and take the water. But I would like, a, you know, a price uh, that, uh, that reflects that. And uh, we kind of laughed about it, but they didn't get it. So, you know, I'm thinking I'm all spiritual because really I hadn't, to that point, hadn't been provoked yet uh, to, to, to anger. Uh, so the problem with that, you know, problem with maturing in the Lord, the tests always get worse. And, uh, so one of the things that was going on was uh, they're building this concrete block fence. It was one of those dec decorative blocks, you know, that they make the retaining walls out of, and they're making those in the back. And you know, they had told me that they had uh, they had run out of these things, and so I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So anyway. So I come home one day, and I'm looking at the side of my house, and I have these window wells made out of decorative blocks. And someone had completely dismantled them and taken them and put them over on their retaining wall. I'm like, wow, this is really a test uh, to my faith right here, you know. And, uh, 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 and, you know, I was looking at that. But you know something? It's just not... God, it's not the heart of God for me to be running over and getting over in this guy's face about this. It's not. I'm sorry. I, yes, I talked to him about it. He was really embarrassed because it wasn't him, of course. It was one of his 40 people. Uh, but, you know, he wound up, you know, not only fixing that well, uh, uh, you know, window well, but the one in the, one of them in the back that had never been dismantled. So with, with new blocks, and so that was fine. But the point is, is that every day these tests will be presented uh, to you. Is your love going to be provoked to anger? You will always regret when it is, always, without exception. It's not worth it. God's love for you is not provoked to anger. Now, it is true as you look through the Old Testament, and it is true that one of the principles is, is if someone cons consistently resists the Holy Spirit, 
over, over time, you know, at some point there will be judgment. But the rule of life that you and I are living under, if we have given our life to Christ, is that God's love for us is a different kind of love. He's not angry with us if we're seeking him. We, if our heart is opened up to him, his love is not provoked to anger. And so um, we will continue next week in the last, this last part of verse 5, which says, love thinks no evil. But uh, let me conclude uh, with this. You know, everything up to this point ha- has, has not been a thinking thing. Now, again, next week we're going we're, we're to start with love thinks no evil. Everything up to this thing has not been a thinking thing. It's been a doing thing. In fact, the literal translation for the word kind in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, is to show oneself useful. It's a doing thing. It's an action word. And you may say, well, something like, you know, I really do have kindness in my heart for people, but, you know, my life is too busy. I just never have, I just don't have time right now in this season to help them. Well, nonsense. If you had kindness in your heart, you would. Kindness is not some sort of conceptual thing, some thought thing or feeling in your in, in, in your heart, it's, it's, that does not act out. Kindness is action to show oneself useful. And all these things, love does not envy, does not parade itself, all these things, it's, it's an action thing where we're, we're, we're acting out and we're acting out the, the, the love of God. You know, in our lives. And also, remember what the context is. It started in chapter 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. Paul, this whole uh, uh, chapter, last chapter in this one, is all about the Holy Spirit, how we are to live our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, how God can take a mess, like the mess that was in the church in Corinth, and, and, and how we can take that mess and make it into something beautiful. Uh, it's through and by the Holy Spirit. Remember in verse 31, he says, and yet I show you a more excellent way. The way is love. The love is the number one manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Love. And the Bible says that you have the Holy Spirit if you've asked Jesus in your life. It says that the Holy Spirit was given you as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And that even if, as we ask for the Holy Spirit, the Father will give us the Holy Spirit. And that's where we're going. Uh, That's the context of this whole thing, and it's an action thing, and God wants to act out the work that he has started in our hearts. So why don't we close in prayer? Father, I just thank you, Lord God, for this, God, this most famous chapter, perhaps, Lord, in all the Bible, Lord. And, and Father, we don't want to only know it. We want to live it. And, Lord God, we want to live it. But before we do, we understand from your word, Lord, you tell us that we must understand it. And, Father, I just pray, Lord God, 
that you'd continue to give us that understanding of how much you love us, how much you love the world, Lord, the cross, that picture, you dying on the cross for us, Lord, you and your word saying that, Father, that you love us even as you love the Son, Lord, that that you love us with this incredible picture, Lord God, where your love suffers long for us. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not seek its own. It's not rude. It's not, uh, does not, uh, it's not provoked. It does not think evil, Lord. Father, we pray that you'd continue to do this work in our lives, Lord, growing us up in an understanding of your love for us, that we may go out, Lord, and do what you've commanded us to do, love each other, love the world, love that person who's been placed in our job, our family, our neighborhood. God, it's our heart to do those things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and we'll end the worship service with a worship song and Dave and Greg will be up here after the service if you would like uh, prayer. God bless you. Uh, we're going to end with, uh, oh, Lord, you're beautiful. And, um, you know, I just I, th- I think about the message and, and, and God is love and, you know, just the idea of God being beautiful. And, you know, to us here on earth, God is unseen, you know, but what we what we do see or what we what we know is his character. It says that God is love, you know. So as we sing, oh, Lord, you're beautiful. And, oh, Lord, you're
God bless you as you're dismissed. Enjoy your afternoon. And uh, if you need prayer, uh, Dave and I will be up front.